podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Positivity Podcast on Anfield Index. My name is Matt McElroy, and I will be your moderator for today's discussion. I am joined by Lubo Murkoff and Paul Jenkins. How are you doing today, Paul? Doing very good. Um, as per usual, it is a beautiful, sunny evening here in Northern Ireland. Um, I have been out cutting the lawn, <clears throat> and getting frustrated with the lawnmower, and probably getting sunburnt at the same time. Um, so in about, well, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'll probably be as red as a lobster. I'm regretting my decision to spend the afternoon cutting the lawn. But for now, I'm doing well. I'm happy. Uh, spending several hours cutting grass sounds like the worst possible thing <laughs> for me. I, I have terrible allergies well, to grass, and I, would just, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be breathing after three hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was either that. It was either that or watch Manchester City versus play Manchester United in the FA Cup final, and I really didn't fancy that, so I went and cut the lawn. <laughs> no, nobody wants to do that. <laughs> uh, and Lubo, how are you doing? I'm pretty exhausted from work and from travel. I, I was last week. I was actually in in California, Southern California, uh, which. Uh, actually, I ended up getting a sunburn because I was hanging out after, after work meetings. I was hanging out by the pool in the hotel, and I didn't think that it was that big of a deal. And then I ended up getting pretty bad sunburn on top of everything else because I, I don't use sunblock. And oh. and next week, I'm going to Boston for another meeting. So uh, across the travel and the projects, it has been a bit of a, 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 bit of a nightmare. But uh, otherwise, it's all good. Lubo, we got to get you a bottle of the SPF 50. You got to protect yes, the skin. Man. See, I, I like totally. I like to pretend I like to pretend that you know being Mediterranean, Eastern European <laughs> slash Mediterranean, that I'm already equipped with a uh, you know built-in SPF. But uh, it's probably pretty stupid. I I, I should yeah, use it more don't than do that. I do. I, you don't want to tempt yeah. uh, the <laughs> development of cancer. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. Worth not. It. And you, Matt? I'm doing great. Like Paul, it's a it's another sunny uh, morning here in Seattle, uh, and you know, just looking forward to the day. Um, okay, let's uh, let's get started with our opening question. Um, so, with the end of the season, Liverpool have announced uh, the departures of James Milner, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, and Naby Keita. So, we want to talk about. Uh, what are your favorite favorite moments from each player? Lubo, can you uh, get us started on this one? Sure. So starting with maybe the, the lesser lesser known or the lesser respected or the, the, the lesser celebrated players. With Ox, I think you have to go back to that goal uh, against Man City in, in the, in the Champions, uh, Champions League at, at Anfield. And, and it is, I was actually watching highlights of uh, some of those early games and I was just thinking what a, what a dynamo uh, Ox was before his injury, before his knee got blown up. And he was just a phenomenal midfielder in that one, basically what was really half a season. And it's such a shame to end it that way. And he never really recovered from, from the injury. But that goal against Man City, that rocket from however many yards, uh, phenomenal. I think for Navi Keita, very similar situation uh, with him, with all the injuries. Um, he had a couple of what I really liked about him is is, is some of the goals that he scored and I, I, a couple of them came to mind. He had a, a volley against Atletico Madrid, which was quite nice. But I, I'll actually go with the other volley uh, against I think it was Crystal Palace. It was the third goal at the end of the game, a left-footed volley, and it wasn't just the goal which was beautiful, but just his reaction, his his facial expression, 
uh, after that. That was just such a, such a great moment. Um, James Milner a lot. Uh, I think probably his his favorite, my favorite moment was when when he had that uh, uh, goal line clearance. I I don't even know who it was. Maybe it was West Ham uh, at, at home where he just went uh, like a just flying in the air. Uh, and I think it was actually Adrian in goal, and Adrian was beat, uh, and he just went in out of nowhere and uh, saved that. And there was a graphic thing in the Athletic recently of all of Milner's touches for Liverpool, and they're everywhere. And there's that one touch by the Liverpool goal line, and you know you knew exactly <laughs> which moment that was. And and I just I, I think it was a, a key moment in that game. But in some ways, I think he just described him uh, as he was just always going, would never give up. We've always been the game. Very smart, very smart player. Always a tune of what's happening. And and with Bobby, I think we talked about Bobby a couple of podcasts ago. I actually recently watched his uh, all of his goals, uh, all of his all 111 goals for for Liverpool again. And there have been some really really uh, phenomenal mm. ones. Uh, but I I think I'll probably of all the goals and the ones that I actually celebrated the most. Thinking about it. It's actually the seventh goal against Man United <laughs> uh, recently, just because he, you know he came in as a sub, and uh, by, by that it had already been announced uh, that he would be leaving. He had been injured, and so everyone was hoping that he'd have at least one or two good moments before <clears throat> the season was over. And coming in and just scoring that seventh goal uh, was—I don't think I have celebrated the Bobby goal as much as I did then, um, and and I have celebrated. <laughs> A lot his goals. So I would say that seventh goal against United is probably the the moment that I'll remember. Matt. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just thinking about the like various natures of the the careers of the guys that are um, that are going and like James Milner, at least for like the early years of Klopp, was basically integrated into everything because uh, like when when Klopp got here, he was the one that was not injured and he was very consistently in the starting lineup and just sort of all over the place, whether it was in the midfield or, you know, playing a full season at left back because that's what the team needed. And I think that, you know, for, uh, for me, like the standout thing is like, you have this journeyman who ends up being like setting a record for most assists in a single season in the champions league. And so just for him to have that accomplishment, I think is a, a pretty good achievement uh, in, in terms of his career, in terms of uh, personal accolades. Um, and like you were talking about with, with Ox is that first half season, it just looked like he's just going to be this driving force in the midfield for like several years. Uh, and, you know, there's the goal that you mentioned there against Man City in the Champions League, but, you know, a couple of months earlier, he had a goal in the 4-3 and it was that that rocket that sort of like propelled him uh, to being a more regular starter in the team, and I think that like was the big like I'm here, I'm part of the team moment to me. Um, for Nabby, you know, I think that like you mentioned, he had like several screamers, and uh, you know, he had some actually good moments scoring goals in. Uh, some of the knockouts in his like first year or two in the the Champions League, and I think that those were probably some of his best uh, performances. There is <clears throat> is is leading sort of like being part of the midfield and like scoring those goals, get getting things going uh, for for Liverpool in in those runs. So uh, again, just both Ox and Naby, unfortunate with their injuries, uh, you know preventing them from being as good as they could have been. Uh, so, uh, Paul, what were your favorite moments? Yeah, it's, it's <clears throat> excuse me, an interesting question. You know, you kind of, I think in a way, if we're looking at the careers of, you know, these four players leaving, you obviously have Bobby, who uh, was in- integral to a lot of our success, the majority of our success. And I watched, same as you, Lubo, watched kind of the video of, of his goals, but what's the other video that Liverpool had put out, just kind of talking, different players in the team talking about him. And there's just so many wee clips and wee things that you saw on that from his career. 
his goals against Arsenal, um, especially that goal where he picks the ball up outside the area, goes one way, drops the shoulder the other way, drops the shoulder again. He's sitting people down on on their backside and then and, and, and slotting it past the keeper. And you just kind of think there's so many great wee Bobby moments. There's no look goals. There's no look passes. There's celebrations where he's karate kicking over the top of Virgil's head. But just you just look back and you. You know, the man was just incredibly, incredibly talented in so many ways. Um, and for a striker, was the most unselfish, um, you know, uns- unselfish forward man that you could kind of find in world football, which I think is why it's going to make it so difficult to kind of replace him because of his style of play. But he's so many. I think one of the most enduring memories you'll get of Bobby is just the smile. <laughs> you know, just that big, shiny... Having new teeth always helps with that too, but um, just that big smile that kind of captured everyone. You know, he just lit up uh, lit up the pitch when he came onto it in, a multiple, in multiple ways. And, and we, you know, we've kind of talked about this as well, like Milner. That, that player who has so much ability, um, just, you know... That player who Jurgen could call upon and you knew you were going to get a dependable performance out of, that's kind of like my enduring memory of, of Milner. I suppose in, in the later games we'll look at it and go, well, if you had a if you had a bet on a yellow card for any player, you're probably going to put it on James Milner if he comes off the bench because <laughs> he was guaranteed of going in and chopping someone and, and you know having a foul early doors after he came onto the pitch, um, which, is quite, which is quite a funny memory of him. But his his overall all round ability and just dependability as a player and his and his resistance to injury, um, was was it was really good for his career for us. Ox, I think, is just oh man, he was a player. Whenever we signed him, I was like, wow, forty million for Ox. I don't know if this is going to work out. Then he, you know, then he gets that if you talked about that half season where he's absolutely brilliant, comes on the scene, you think wow, this is a really shrewd sign and he's scoring goals and you know, he's, he's as you said Matt, after his you know, initial slow period of coming into the team, you just kind of felt that now he's going to take off this is this is what's going to happen to the point where when he did get his injury Liverpool gave him that extra season on his contract because I guess they felt that you know He's shown enough that he deserved that, and you know what a terrible way to 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 leave the club if his you know if he never got to fulfil that kind of destiny of 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 playing to the top level that we all seen in that period. It's just unfortunate that kind of now the memory you have of him is got a serious injury and could never really come back from it. Just couldn't fight his way back in. Couldn't find form. And whether that injury is just taking a lot off his off his game, I'm sure we'll see in whatever team he ends up next, whether that will be the case or not. But his thunderbolts against City, his goals were just, you know, some of his performances in the Champions League, you were just like, wow, um, you know, those memories were great. I guess a funny memory, one that sticks out for me, his TikTok video that he was doing over lockdown where he was going up and down the steps with the you know with a little mixed girlfriend you're just like oh my goodness if you set yourself up for ridicule that's going to be it <laughs> and then finally just with Naby um ah, yeah that you guys have talked about it as goals is I think for me the enduring memory I, I kind of have is, is is performance against Man United last season where he was just he just ran the midfield. I was just I was blown away with kind of that performance that we've seen from him. Um and uh he got a goal that day and he was just pulling strings left, right and centre and just kind of felt with Naby I just have this memory or that just this thought that he had the potential to be incredible. But unfortunately it just never quite realised at Liverpool, whether it's as a result of injury, whether it's as a result of of, of Klopp just not quite a hundred percent trusting him, um, I don't know. But it's just one of those. I think it'll be a memory, same as Ox, where you kind of felt could have been awesome, but unfortunately, just never really, just never really materialised. You know, you wish them all 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 the best and where they go to next, and you hope that they're successful. Um, and you hope that, that that those two boys, especially, are able to find some sort of career after the injuries that they've had. Yeah, that Man United game, in some ways, you could say that was it. One game summarized Navi's career. 
because uh, mm-hmm. he was so good. He bossed the midfield. <clears throat> he had a goal. He had an assist uh, to uh, uh, to Mo. He was involved in yep. everything. And then he gets injured from that horrendous uh, tackle from Pogba. And yep. then he was out for quite a bit of time. And then it's like, ah, it, it just never happened to him. And it's just yep. the, the combination. He, he could see the, the talent that he had and everything. And then the, the bad luck and the injuries. And wherever yeah. he goes, he, you know, you hope that he has a, a longer run and he has more of a career ultimately. Yeah. But um, yeah, good luck to him. Good luck to all. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they're healthy in whatever their next stop is uh, and can contribute to whoever they, they end up with. Uh, so one other thing right before we move on, uh, a bit of trivia for Ox is he actually had more starts for Liverpool in the Premier League in the 1920 title winning season than his first season or any other season at Liverpool. So it's like he was very much there in that like totally. peak season. And you didn't really like think of him as like a guy that was part of the the fabric. So it's a, just a sort of an interesting thing. It's like we all think about the first season, but it was that that title winning season. He was also a, a big part of. Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay, so um, looking back at uh, the results, uh, Liverpool will be on the rocky road to Dublin next season as they finish fifth in the Premier League. Uh, the Reds didn't lose in their final 11 games, but the draws during that streak uh, saw them fall just short of the needed points to qualify for the Champions League. Um, so, on the whole, the season was fairly disappointing as Liverpool didn't meet sort of the, the preseason expectations. So, Paul, uh, what do you think the, the key factors were in, in, in this for Liverpool? Yeah, I guess we've talked about this, like... Uh, in nearly every episode that we've done um, of the podcast, there's, there's, it's just like so many wee small niggly things, injuries, players not being on form, not bringing in a midfielder last season, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> uh, we, we thought we'd handled that pretty well. We did try for Giamani and that didn't quite work out and, you know, we kind of thought we could persist with it. You didn't have Bobby playing as many games as you thought you were going to have him playing up front with a, you know, with the switch. It's like it's just like has everything contributed to our bad season? Yes. It's just like, oh my goodness. Especially like I, I didn't you know, I'm just thinking back to probably our preseason predictions. And I would have said that we will have like we all will have predicted great title challenge good Champions League run, might even make our way to Istanbul. Um, not too caring about the Cups because we've got them, but at the same time, we'd be happy enough to defend them kind of thing. Uh, so I, I think we season. all said like, oh yeah, they're going to win the League Cup and then yeah. maybe or maybe not do an FA Cup run. And then uh, I think we all said, all said win the League, but then we didn't have win the Champions League, but we had like deep run in the Champions League. I think that's the yeah. the predictions. <laughs> the general predictions. And you know what? I hate the predictions and it's for this flipping reason because you then have a season that looks like this and you just, you're massively get egg in your face and you're going, ah, oh, right, I know nothing football. But, <laughs> and we don't like, <laughs> ultimately we don't really. Um, and you're just kind of looking at it. What's what's been what's been the kind of key factors? I would say key factors like you've injury to Bobby, you've bringing in Darwin who gets a red card early in his career. So then you're trying to reshuffle. You've got him out for three games. Then you've got a World Cup World Cup coming into the middle of it. You've Diaz picking up an injury. You've Curtis Jones who's got an injury. You've got Thiago who isn't available. You know, numerous games. You've got Naby, who may as well just have left last season anyway because he didn't play. Um, you've Ox, who never played. Um, so you just have all this. You've Fabinho looking as if he didn't know how to play football. You've got defenders who are just kind of like having a season where they're not quite sure what's happening with them. You know, the one the one shining light, I guess, um, and we're going to come to this later anyway, uh, you know, is Alisson um, and just how well he played. But, um, you know, the things that have caused us not to meet the expectations or the predictions that we have had um, is just like, they all seem like kind of small or they kind of seem like, you know, nearly trivial. But when you put them all together, the way, the, you know, the way our season panned out, 
Um, I also think other teams working out how to play against us, um, which may sound really weird. Um, but you know, the, you always talk about this. You know, teams and coaches and um, tactical analysis guys. You know, they find ways to beat a system. So you always have to kind of keep changing and evolving your your system so you can't get you know so you can't get it taken apart. And I think we just relied too much on that four three three that we knew. And then whenever we, you know, people use the term get found out. I'm not going, I don't think it's you get found out, but whenever people change their approach to playing against that, I just think we struggled to adapt. We did try different things at the start of the season, but because they didn't pay off, then it was like, right, let's go back to what we know. But when we went back to what we knew, we still didn't do particularly well. Um, and so you're like, hmm. It's just it's just one of those ones that's it's the sum of the parts. There was just so many small things that went wrong. It was nothing. I still don't believe that the midfield was the massive was the massive issue. I'm just of the thought that we didn't defend well from the front. We left our midfield exposed, and then that left the defence even more exposed. And we were just we were just all over the show. Yeah, I think that like failing to win the title is more like. You know, in order to actually win it, you need mostly everything or everything to go right. Like, everything Mm -hmm. sort of cuts your way. You get the luck. All of your guys perform. Uh, You know, in any given season over the last 10 years, the the team that wins the title likely has either the best or the second best offense and then the best or the second best defense. And so you have to be, like, excellent at everything all at once and have that go from day one to to game 38, right? So it has to be yeah. the whole season and just everything is like nearly perfect. It So once things started to go not that direction, uh, Liverpool still were very much in contention given the quality of their players, manager, all of that uh, to get fourth. And then you had, it's because you had like five things go wrong that you end up fifth instead of fourth. Um, you know, if you had, you know, one of those things go a different way, uh, whether that's your finishing, because you have strikers who underperform their expected goals, uh, you have all the injuries that just sort of were all over the field and left you very thin, mm-hmm. had to play lots of guys, lots of minutes, that contributed to more fatigue and injuries. And that's just sort of cascades away. Uh, you have sort of the precipitous decline of three players in midfield that you're counting on. Um, and that that has a negative effect. And to a similar degree, like your, your center backs don't perform to the standards that you're used to. Uh, and that all contributes to things like... Uh, like the XG conceded from open play was like nearly double uh, from year to year. Um, And like all this stuff goes against you. And then on top of that, you get unlucky where like Manchester United ends up third and they don't even score 60 goals. And (laughs) like that, like in the last 15 years, teams that don't score six, if you don't score 60 goals, you don't get in the top four and somehow they ended Mm -hmm. up third. Um, and so that means like a lot of things got to go against you all at once for to like make Liverpool fifth instead of fourth. Um, so yeah, it it was very unfortunate as a as a series of events. Um, so Lubo, what 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 were your thoughts on this? Are you that person who has everything, the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. 
I just I want to echo something you said about in order to win a title, you have to be very good and quite lucky. And you, you saw with Arsenal, you know, they started the season, they were I mean, they were good, but they also had a lot of luck as well. Luck with uh, the scoring more than they were creating. Defensively, they got lucky a few times. They were lucky with injuries, uh, as in not having many. And then the moment they kind of the last 10 games, they got some bad luck with injuries, especially Saliba and maybe a couple of others. And they got a bit unlucky <laughs> in some situations and they just collapsed. But exactly what you said, Matt, you could, f- to finish top four, uh, especially with uh, the, the, the talent that Liverpool have, you can be good and a little unlucky, but you could still be good enough to finish uh, fourth. Uh, but I, I think that for far too long, we, we were not that good, especially in the first half of the season. But also, we were really unlucky, especially with the, 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 the scoring. Uh, we were creating chances that Darwin and Mo were missing. And we also were very unlucky with the injuries. And so just being not very good and being unlucky is, is really, I would say, the, the, the reason uh, Liverpool were you know, seventh and eighth for most of, the, most of the season. And in the last 10, 10, 11 games, Liverpool did get better. They, they did get lucky with injuries, as in a lot of the players came back. They also got lucky with some, some situations. Yeah, I mean, even, for example, uh, a good example was Diogo Jota's goal against Spurs. You know, just a, a game that they kind of had blown a lead, and all of a sudden he, he, he gets gifted a goal, right? So uh, w- when you look at that, um, I think that ultimately, uh, as the season progressed, Klopp was able to... Uh, ride the ship enough, and Liverpool got enough luck in, in you know in enough areas to almost make it back into top four, but just it just didn't happen. Um, and I think one of the things that we did uh, talk about a few weeks ago is that Liverpool basically had to be perfect in their last ten mm-hmm. games, uh, and Liverpool were quite good. I mean, the last ten games they won seven and, and uh, drew three, as as it happened, which is I think this is fourth or fifth season in a row that. Liverpool have been undefeated in their last 10 games of a season, except for that one season that under, under, under um, COVID when they had already wrapped up the title. So again, as we expected, they were able to turn on the, the, the Jets a little bit um, and uh, you know, make, make a run. Unfortunately, just the, the two draws, the, well, actually the two critical draws, the one against Arsenal, and then the, the one against Aston Villa were kind of the bookends that uh, just meant that they just fell short. But uh, in terms of, I was just thinking, in terms of trying to recap, you know, if I, if I were to use a, a movie scene or, or a meme or uh, uh, something to just summarize this season, I don't know if you guys ever saw that movie Burn After Reading. I think it was about 15 years ago, so it came out. Uh, and it was, I think it was a Coen Brothers movie, and it was just a bit of a just a lot of just random things happening, kind of a dark comedy. And at the end, there's a scene of these guys, two guys at the FBI, that they're saying, "What did we learn, Palmer?" And it's like, "I don't know, sir. I guess we learned not to do it again." I said, "Well, <laughs> I wish we had just learned. I just, I just knew, wish I knew what not to do again." <laughs> <It was wonderful. laughs> One of those moments where uh, it's just, and I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a link to the video. But it's one of those things where you just, I don't know how much you can learn from this season, because just yeah. so many weird things happen, as Paul mentioned, between the the World Cup in the middle of the season, the preseason, the the injuries, the players who are not not going to be at Liverpool anymore, just the changes of the tactics uh, throughout the season, the finishing. It's just, I think sometimes you just, you know say this is one of those shit happens kind of a seasons you yeah. just uh, you just you know survive okay you're going to be in the europa league next year at least you have some european football to play being in the europa league and we'll talk a little bit about that it's not the end of the world uh it's still a good trophy if you can win it uh, but i i don't know if i'm going to spend that much time trying to analyze this season and trying to figure out exactly what happened it's just like just close the chapter and just move on and just forget about the season yeah, this this season is so much like the one that was behind closed doors, where it's just like everybody gets injured, huge cold streak in terms of scoring goals, and then you know in that season you're able to you know pull out the run and get fourth. This season, 
can't quite pull it out because the teams that you're going against are just a little bit better. Um, and then you just sort of go again in the next season and hope, hope that things, uh, like turn out better in terms of your injury situation. Cause like if Liverpool didn't have injuries, they probably would have got second and in this season. And the same can be said about next season, even if there aren't like seven signings, you could go with uh, like a version of this team and still do very well because there are lots, there's a lot of talent on the roster. Um, so with that, uh, did you guys see any silver linings to the season? Uh, Lubo, you want to start on that one? I mean, a couple of things. So one is definitely the finish to the season, right? As we talked about the last 10, 11 games, at least the last 10 games in the new, in the new formation, the new front role, uh, especially with some some players coming in, players who are going to be here next season, who are going to play a, a big part. Uh, definitely, was it was a very encouraging end to the season. I think I looked at it that the last ten games, and I, I was looking at understat, but when you look at the uh, non-penalty xG difference, uh, Liverpool had by far uh, the best in, in the league and had the most expected points. And, and again, you could argue about this, but this was just evidence that that uh, that uh, this new formation and, and there is even talent at the club. And we'll talk a little bit more about signing potential signings or areas to improve. But there was in this new formation, there's enough talent, there's enough good players to be able to execute a good plan. And we saw it on the on on the pitch, right, with the the seven wins and three draws, which is a good pace to get you over ninety points. In a season, which means that if if you can if you can run at a ninety point pace, you're going to be in title contention. Um, so that that's one. Uh, and two is just some of the players that that stepped up this season. Some of the new players, uh, despite all the injuries and, and the issues that we had, but uh, that the fact that we saw quite a lot of Cody coming in, and you know we had some questions about the fit, but Klopp found a role for him. Uh, as well as um, you know, players like uh, uh, Curtis coming back, uh, showing that he he has a role he can play. Uh, I I'm st- still quite encouraged uh, about Harvey. I this was his truly his first season at Liverpool, and I think he showed quite a lot. Um, yeah, and then some even some of the younger players like Stefan, right? And and, and even mm-hmm. in, in glimpses, just seeing a little bit of glimpses of of Ben and um, Bobby Clark, and even some of these other players. I think that there's enough talent at the club still. There's enough young talent, promising talent uh, at the club where if if this system persists and if this is the system that you can really train everybody, not just the first 11, but you have good first 18, 20 players that can truly you know, run this system and you have to figure out what do you do when Trent is not playing and you know, all this, what do you do when Mo is not playing? But those are, quite, those are things that the club could figure out. But I think between... The, 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 how the season ended, the last 10 games, and how certain players, especially core players for the future, performed, I think there's a lot of reasons to be, to be positive for, for next season and beyond. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that like, the, you know, the, the big positives are around um, those, those young players and their, their contributions. So you have Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, and Stefan Bezetic, and you know, Harvey at, you know, he played nearly every game. He performed at a very high level. Uh, if you look at, you know, his various comparison uh, on on the statistics websites like FB Ref, like he compares favorably to Martin Odegaard and Kevin De Bruyne in terms of his outputs. Um, you know, with him, it's just about getting a bit stronger, getting about, getting a little bit more like defined role in this new system and then he's got you know a lot to give there um with curtis jones he came back from injury you know it's he's had a really rough couple of seasons with you know in in the the previous year it was just a series of like small injuries where he started with a concussion and then had an eye injury and then had you know got got injured with england then had a groin injury and then come into this season they probably tried to increase his um, increase his load, and that caused the stress reaction. And then, you know, those those types of injuries are very finicky, and it can take months and months to recover. And now, 
you know, we saw in the spring what he can do now that he's a little bit older, a little bit more confident, and how good he can be. And so, like, looking into next season, like, I'm expecting him to be, you know, a big contributor through the whole thing. And then, you know, Stefan coming in at 17, 18 years old and performing like he did, that gives you some hope that he can become, you know, go from a very good 17-year-old to a very good um you know 21 22 year old player and actually develop into you know a starter or like high end contributor over the next 3 seasons um so paul what were your thoughts on on the the silver linings of the season yeah like you guys are covering it pretty well um i, I think and i said it this earlier you know the one of the maybe not a silver lining but a highlight of the season has been um, Allison and how good you know how good he was and how we have if not the world's best goalkeeper like the one of the world's top three best goalkeepers at the club and um, for me that's like a silver lining on a on a, a season that hasn't been hasn't been particularly great um now you could go all Roy Keane on the affair and say well that's his job and <laughs> doing what he's paid to do um and not be that impressed by him, but I, I honestly think without without Ali, we probably would have been in a lot worse situation. Um, so for me, a silver line, you know, that's a silver line. How how good he still performed, um, and you know, the making or the showing of how good someone is is whenever they they are um, under a lot of pressure. And a goalkeeper, you know, you make your money making your saves. You make your money from from those kind of scenarios where the defence in front of you. Um, lets you down and you have to pull pull it out and he's done that numerous times so um, he had a very good season in a, in a, in a season that was quite rubbish um, I think making Europe you know regardless it's not Champions League but you know I feel that we, we would have a very strong chance of winning the Europa League um, next season and you want it you know if you're not going to be in Champions League, you want to be in Europe. You don't want to be doing Chelsea, you, you know, outside of Europe completely. Um, big players, lots of players on your books who thrive on the idea of playing European football and then you don't have it. So at least, you know, we're not playing Champions League. It's one season out of it. You can look at the players and go, listen, one of the reasons we're not in Champions League is because you guys didn't perform well enough in certain points of the season. So you use that as motivation then to say, you know, our objectives for next season need to be one, finishing top two in the league, uh, and second, let's go and win the Europa League to show that you're, you know, you're you are a top European player. Um, so a silver line is making sure because like after Christmas and a couple of months after that, there are people saying, you know, we're not going to we're not going to make top six, we're not going to make top eight to even get in the conference league, never mind Europa. And I think, you know, towards the end there then we've we've kind of cruised t- towards finishing, you know, fifth. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's kind of a silver line. And and the other one obviously is the adaptability to find a tactical solution that has worked. That looks pretty good for us. And in some respects we've been able to use these last 10, 12 games as a preseason for next season. Um, to know going into next season, right? Well, here's a base of what we can do. If we bring in X, Y, and Z players, then we've already spent a piece of time and a spell of time, a number of months working on the tactical side of this. We've talked to players about how we want them to play. Then, when we hit preseason, do our you know do our good conditioning stuff, strength conditioning, get the players in peak physical performance, and then. Um, you know, we've already spent a bit of time on these tactics because the season that we won the league and the season that we won the Champions League, we were so well drilled in how we played that system. You know, it's muscle memory. You're able to do the things just without thinking about it. And so that's kind of what I would look at in terms of, of these, you know, of, of this <clears throat> period of time that we've had. Been able to move Trent into the middle and show his adaptability. Um, I think Ibu that ability to cover right back, right centre back, um, has been really, really good. He's you know, that's a silver line and just his one on ones and how strong he is on that and finding a way to make that work with Trent. Um you know, has been has been very good. Finding a way to get Mo 
back involved again is the you know the big stat that we've taken away from this season is that once we switched that system against Arsenal, Mo had the most touches of the ball inside an opposition's box that he had all season in that game. So where we've struggled at trying to get him involved in the game and involved in the right areas for him, then we've been able to make that happen. Um, and we found a way to make that happen in a different in a different setup. Um, so I, you know, I look at it and go, it's been a crap season. There's still positives. Uh, you know, our name is the Positivity Podcast, so we're always going to try and look for the the, the silver linings and everything um, that happens uh, at the club. But I, I, you know, I do think, Libby, you said it. There's there is plenty to be. Um, excited about with youth coming through player development um, you know, for heading in the next season if we do the right recruitment then I don't see any reason why we can't you know, push on um, and, and, and you know win a, win a trophy or two next year Yeah and like for a long time people would look at you know, you qualify for the Europa League now you have a Thursday-Sunday schedule and like you can just you know, it, it's going to be a slog and a struggle because uh, that that schedule is so unfavorable. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just don't think that's that true anymore. I think what Arsenal was in the Europa League this year and they exactly. got second. And it's more about the, you know, what happened in previous years when teams were getting that fifth, sixth position and going into the Europa League is those squads were smaller and those teams weren't yes. as like rich as Liverpool. So like Liverpool's mm-hmm. got more money, they've got a bigger like deeper roster. So and then the competition's going to be a lot lower than they're used to. So you can rotate more and play more young players, play your your backups in the Europa League mm-hmm. and still win and you mm-hmm. can progress in that competition at least through the group stage and maybe even some of the early rounds of the knockouts without having to um use a lot of legs from your your main guys and so th- they can focus your starters can focus on the premier league and sort of your your backups can focus on the europa league and you can do well in both competitions uh and sort of in that same vein is like you know everybody got liverpool to the europa league there's not like one or two players that were so good and everybody else was bad it's like they were all like off their best so you know you you got in this as a group you can get out of it as a group and yep. nobody can be pouting about the fact that they're there yeah and just to add on uh, the, the 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 europa league and why uh i mean i, I the europa league is obviously much better than the, the europa conference league from a financial perspective and the quality of teams that you're playing but i think the other two things to point out about the europa league is first um you have a giant squad and including a lot of young players that you want to keep and you want to give, uh, give it, keep giving them playing time. And if Liverpool had somehow done a Chelsea, and that's also you know, it's a separate question what Chelsea is going to do, but if let's say if Liverpool had missed out on European football altogether, then you would have to loan out or think about selling a lot of players this summer uh, because you just won't have the games to them. You need to cut the, 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 the budget a little bit but then if you were to qualify in the Champions League or compete for a title next year or the, the season after that, and you're back in the Champions League, how, how are you going to do that? It, it, it does sort of like having to contract and then expand is very, very difficult. Having the Europa League, which is still a very respectable competition, it also means a lot of minutes for, for the squad players, a lot of minutes for the younger players. So you, you would be able to then give them the opportunities to play and develop in the system that you're going to be using while possibly saving the legs of Mo and Virgil and a few of the other, the veterans, uh, Ali, for, for the Premier League. And hopefully that means you can make a very strong run in the Premier League, exactly kind of like Arsenal did this year, but hopefully not fall apart like Arsenal. But the other thing about the Europa League is that, as, as Paul said, we, we would be one of the favorites, if not the favorite next year in the Europa League. And I think if you, if you win it, it's not Champions League money, but you could still make you know pretty good money, something in the tune of maybe up to about fifty million if you win the uh, Europa League, which is it's good money. It's basically that's that's that pays for McAllister, right? Assuming that he joins as, as an example, but also it, it winning the Europa League gives you an automatic spot into the Champions League uh, uh, the, the season after that, 
And I don't think that is something that needs to be dismissed easily because it effectively gives you a pretty reasonable path into the Champions League the, the season after that. If for some reason you know some you, you don't get it into uh, through the league, so I think the combination of the two is. is I've always been a kind of a big fan of of the Europa League personally, not a, and, and especially you know after the fifteen sixteen season and and, and sort of the, how that. Uh, uh, 2016 season finished unfortunately that the, the, it was not the final that we wanted but i like to think the players and Klopp would like to give it a, a real go and and try to win it and hopefully it means that now that uh, we can have a very in parallel a very strong run in the league yeah uh, qualifying for the 24 25 champions league is going to be a bit different though because they're they're changing the format and so I think there's two at-large bids for whoever has the highest coefficient. And so there's even an extra way in which you can qualify. And Liverpool's coefficient is high enough that if they got fifth and didn't win the Europa League, they would probably still be in the Champions League. And like this season, like mistimes that by one. Like if it was next season and Liverpool got fifth, I think they would still be in the Champions League in the, the following season. It's just sort of like... Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Weird how that's going to play out in in 2 years. Yeah. Regardless, I would take I would take the Europa League trophy. I think of all English Yeah, no, teams, I, I want to win it. We, we, <laughs> yeah. I think we actually even though we're not Sevilla, right? We have 7 already. <laughs> Liverpool have 3 Europa League trophies, which is still more than any other um uh English team. I think Chelsea have two. So I don't I don't mind if we're in it. I definitely want to win it. And plus, we already decided that if we make it to Dublin next year, uh, you and I, Matt, are crashing on, on uh, Paul's, uh, Paul's couch for a week in, 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 uh, in, in Belfast. So that's already decided. <laughs> yeah, for the, for the live podcast. <laughs> uh, so I think this is a good point to start looking ahead uh, to the summer. So the transfer season is upon us, and there are a lot of rumors floating out there about um, the potential in, uh, additions to the squad for Liverpool. So uh, just wanted to get you guys' thoughts. What do you think the priority should be this summer? Uh, Paul, do you want to start us off on that one? I think the priorities are pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, we need, we've lost four players. Three of them are midfielders. So I think obviously we need to we need to be looking at midfield. Um and it's interesting there's a huge amount of debate around what type of midfielders we need. Um, you know, do we need a defensive midfielder? Do we need um eight stroke tens? Do we need um strong box to box midfielders? And you know, you could make an argument that yes to all those questions. Um uh, if McAllister, um, who seems to be the forerunner, is, is going to be the early announcement, um, if that does pan out to be the case, I think that's a great addition. Um, I would still love to, but it's looking less and less likely that, that we can do a deal for for him. Um, after that, like, you know, Kone and Saram and, you know, there's there's any there's any number of names that are just being flashed about at the minute. Uh, mostly for mostly by foreign uh, journalists rather than any local boys, um, which would make you would make you think that it could be a bit of agent uh, work drumming up interest for their players 
rather than actually anything coming from the club or anything coming from from anyone locally who has has any attachments. But I think the the big thing is we do need that idea of we do need a you know strengthening midfield. That we you need. I think Lobo, you talk about this quite a lot. Um, I think it's you anyway. Um, like stronger midfield, athletic midfielders, technical midfielders. You know, Lobo um, wants the tall guys. Yes, he wants to. T- that's it. It's the tall. You know. So I think there's, I think there is a need for that. You know, a wee bit more height in there in midfield just to kind of try and dominate. I think you know, it, it's really interesting because you don't know. Part of me still wonders: Will we persist with this formation that we have? That in some respects you look at and go, we stumbled upon it, um, and then part of me goes, well, depending on the profile of players, could we go back to that four-three-three if we can bring in someone in that genuine Alden mold who can do a lot of the hard work, um, back and forward, controlling that left side of midfield, doing the link-up play between. Robbo and Diaz or Robbo and Darwin or Robbo and whoever um, you know so you, you, you're looking at that going you know what's 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 the formation how are we going to play uh, and then that'll dictate sometimes the players you also look at it and go who's going to release Darwin to kind of you know help him get the goals and get because he's very different to who Bobby is and he's very different to you know Mane and he's different to Mo so he's different to the players that we've known um, as our front three, so you know, you just kind of look and what's the profile. But ultimately, you know, I just, I just want decent recruits. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm still of the opinion I trust the recruitment side of things. I, I trust who we're going to bring in. You know, ultimately, we've been linked with Giovanni in the past. We've been linked with Jude. We've been linked with McAllister, Caicedo, um, Duram, uh, Kone. You know, these are names that are good players, so it's not like the recruitment is is way off whack. We're we're literally linked with the people who everyone seems to think would be ideal for what we need to bring in. So, um, I I think that's a good thing. It's interesting this left this left side of defence idea, um, and I have I have seen I can't remember what journalist it was, but. It was someone who said that a defender, a centre back, or a left sided centre back would be a bit of a priority for this summer. And initially, I was going, "Why do we even need that? We've got Robbo, we've got Smeekus. There's still another couple of seasons out of those two. We've got Trent, we've got Ramsey, we've got um, Bradley. So you're kind of looking and going, I don't know that necessarily need that. But then if we do persist in this three, then maybe maybe that is something we do need to look at. If 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 Quivey and Kelleher decides that it's time to move on, then we've also got to have, you know, an option for a goalkeeper. Um, and, I, you know, I seen a thing the other day on Twitter of a, of a young Brazilian guy, I think he's playing in Portugal at the minute, um, 2021-22, as someone who we've looked at. So, you know, there's there's going to be different priorities, I think, um, but the main one has to get in the midfield, right? Yeah, I think that... Um sort of like you're mentioning is like you got to decide what the you know base formation is going to be if you're going to stick mm-hmm. to this like three box three three five two type formation or you're going to continue to to use some sort of four three three variation um so picking which formation is the base formation sort of dictates where you're going to prioritize your your acquisitions mm-hmm. uh because right right now you have four center backs. And if you're going to mm-hmm. do a back three system, you're going to need more than four center backs. Yeah. Um, and like you're saying, it's like you have three midfielders who left. You have one midfielder who's still under contract in Jordan Henderson, who's past his best and needs to be doing a much lower, uh, a much smaller role within mm-hmm. the team, less of a everyday starter. You've got Tiago, who you can anticipate won't be available for the full season. And then you have Fabinho, who's sort of like riding the fence of whether or not he's like past his prime. Um, mm-hmm. So with those three guys being like three of your main midfielders and three of your main midfielders being at the base of midfield, I would, you know, prioritize even bef- after you, even if you don't decide which uh, formation to go with, you need to address that sort of 
offensive midfielder or um, sort of like defensive eight box to box type player. And so getting mm-hmm. one or two of those guys in is would for me would be a priority. And then um, from there is like, I do think you have to get a center back in uh, Joel Matip just doesn't look like he's like he was uh, he's, he's making a lot of errors. And, you know, if, you know, since that, that might be who he is now, you you need to move him on and then bring somebody in as a backup that can potentially move into a starting role over the next couple of seasons. And that, that could be like sort of priority two. And then to me, like the attacking midfield is less of a priority, but that's only because I believe what Liverpool has on the roster from an attacking perspective is really good. And you can Mm -hmm. work with a lot of those guys to get the goals you need. And a lot of the attacking problems are more about just scoring your chances rather than needing a new guy to create more chances. So that's how I would break that down. Um, Mm -hmm. Lubo, what, what are your thoughts on this? So I'm not going to repeat a lot of the points that you, you, you said. I think a couple of, a couple of things about the midfield. Um, it's not just that we lost three midfielders uh, this summer. Is that uh, Henderson and, and uh, Thiago and even Fabinho are, are you know probably they have one one or two seasons left in, in their legs, and, and those are the types of seasons where you want to start moving them more into a squad role rather than a starting role. So you need to bring in uh, players who can not only replace uh, you know Naby and Ox and Milner. And that, from a minutes perspective, that's not that difficult because those three players did not play that much anyhow. But you actually have to think about replacing Henderson and Thiago and Fabinho. And that's why this this summer is so important. Uh, Because uh, realistically, I mean, (laughs) really of the younger midfielders in in the team, it's really uh, Jones and, and, and Harvey... And, and maybe, you know, Barsetic and, and Tyler Morton, right? So that's not necessarily something that you want to look, look at in the next two to three years. You're like, okay, that, that, those, that, those are good players, but you definitely want to build more into those, uh, add more of those 22 to 25 uh, year old profile players, 26. And, and so that's going to be really important to, to replace, not just for this season, but for the next two to three seasons. And I, incidentally, I think the fact that we're going to be in the Europa League rather than in the Champions League, gives the team a bit of flexibility which way they go. Because if you're in the Champions League next year, and let's say McAllister, I think McAllister is someone who can play Champions League or Europa League or Premier League. You're not so worried about it. But for the next player, if you're in the Champions League next year, you have to then think McAllister and someone who can step in and play Champions League football and Premier League football week in, week out. And then you're looking at very expensive players, right? <laughs> You're looking at guys who are in the 80 to 100 million possibly range uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, to bring in. Because you have Europa League, you could potentially take a flyer on a couple of younger guys that you say, okay, we're going to use them more in the Europa League and maybe the domestic cups and maybe once here and there in the Premier League next year, more of a betting in period, but they'll be really good the season after that. When uh, when we'll be uh, hopefully back in the Champions League, and that's why the links to the likes of Kone and uh, Turam may- make a lot of sense. You know, normally, you know, even though they're good young players, I'd be hesitant. Can you trust them to step in into a a Champions League game immediately for Liverpool at the highest level next season? Um, and I think that the fact that you're in the Europa League gives you a bit more. Uh, flexibility in which way you go and gives you the ability to gamble a bit more on on players. Um, I think the other thing uh, also is that the team needs to figure out is if they stay persist to this rotation exactly how they how they deal in, in games when um, Trent is not playing and how do you deal in games when Robo is not playing because I don't think Costas gives you nearly as much in this formation as Robo does and. We don't really have a, a, a right now obvious trend type player. Maybe Calvin Ramsey can do that in domestic cups in the Europa League. Maybe he can do it well enough uh, where you can you can get away with it, and that's a good training opportunity. But you have to basically you know come up with a plan if you're persisting in this uh, rotation uh, with this system 
for games when Trent is not playing, games when Robo is not playing, and whether you have players in-house that you feel confident can do that, maybe someone even like Luke Chambers, who could potentially do that, left-back, left-sided midfielder, maybe you take a longer look at him. We talked about uh, Ramsey, maybe Connor Bradley. I'm not sure if he's quite the profile, but that's a really important decision, uh, evaluation that the team has to make, because if you don't have these players at the club, then you have to bring someone in, at least on one side. Yeah, one of the names I've seen linked in the last couple of weeks, and again this morning, that could potentially fill that role is Benjamin Pavard from Bayern Munich. Uh, so he he plays both center back and right back, but he does a lot of the attacking stuff from what I remember. Um, so like he could be a guy that you bring in and have play like a couple of different roles in this like re back three system and gives you like various options with Trent when Trent's not there or playing them together. And, you know, it's maybe that type of having that type of player with Trent is too attacking, but like it does give you options and flexibility uh, just because he can play a couple of different positions and he's like very well experienced at the highest levels. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Bob, do you have any uh, further further thoughts on the the, the transfer? No, I think... <laughs> I think I think you guys are. I think we've kind of covered most of it there. Um, <clears throat> the only other position I'd kind of be, but I don't think it's a priority. It's just kind of that Salah um, backup. But you know, I think we've enough youth. And Lubo, you made the right point about you know Europa League and the cup games is a place to try and bed these boys in. You know, Kyde Gordon has to be coming back at some point in time. Um, ben Doak is there. You've got. Like for me, so for me, Connor Bradley's more of an attacking, uh, attacking right, you know, right, but right back, right full back kind of player. So there's there's scope for him further up the pitch, you know. Um, so I wouldn't see him inside in the same way that possibly Ramsey could play inside the way Trent does currently. Um, but if we reverted more to the the four three three, where you have you know Trent would have attacked you know more down the outside or whatever. Um, with Salah, then then Connor Bradley might be an option for that kind of further up the field approach to to, to the right side fullback. So yeah, like it's not for me. I guess it's not a priority. Um, it's just something that we need to be considering. And I know that I know that Harvey Elliott is also another option um, as a, as that kind of backup for for Mo. I'm just not quite sure that he plays or you know plays the same way as what Mo does in that situation but I guess it's you know it's going to be an interesting 12 months from here until the end of next season to see what way we work out and work these you know work these conundrums out shall we say yeah and like one one thing to also mention here real quick is that Liverpool do have to balance some of their like roster spots with the foreign versus homegrown uh right now you have like I think it's three spots open in the foreign so all of the players that have been linked so far are not homegrown players. And so mm-hmm. if you're signing four not homegrown players, like one has one of your current foreign players has to leave. Uh or you have to find some other homegrown players to, you know, 
actually fill yeah, those roles. And yeah. so, you know, we, we haven't, we've only seen the, the links to, to foreign players um, yeah. so far and most of them not in the premier league. And that, that is a, a thing that we'll have to like just monitor because uh, Liverpool is going to have to, to balance that um, through, throughout the summer. Uh, so I think that's a good place to uh, start bringing us to a close. Uh, so Luba, what what are your final thoughts and any plugs that you have? Uh, final thoughts. I, I think uh, let's uh, maybe the next podcast. We'll have to see when it is. Maybe a month from now. Uh, hopefully by that time, some of the links uh, to players have either been confirmed and there have been some signings, or they have those players have moved on. But I think that it would be interesting to see how the next month evolves uh, and how these questions that we're raising around midfield and, and around you know, potentially uh, fullbacks and backup at fullback, how these are addressed. And we definitely know that Klopp wants to have uh, the, the, the players, the new players in time for their uh, training that I think starts uh, in early July in, in Germany somewhere. So I think the next month is going to answer a lot of these uh, questions around at least some of the new, new, new signings and what that tells us then about how Liverpool might play next year. So uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, we'll be it will be an interesting month to, to just uh, watch. And, and, uh, and hopefully uh, when we come back in, in three, four weeks, we have some, some exciting developments to talk about. Yeah, hopefully we have some presents for the 4th of July. Um, so, um, Paul, uh, what, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts kind of are, um, I'm glad that this season's over. <laughs> um, kind of, it's been a hard grasp for us to remain positive the whole way through, and we've done pretty well to get to the end of the season, putting out as many positivity podcasts as what we have done. Um, so kudos to us for doing that. <laughs> um, kind of uh, looking forward to what the summer's going to hold. We know that we have to bring in players, so. Um, it's one of those funny summers where we're actually going, yeah, we're actually going to be a wee bit excited about transfers this year because we know we have to make them. So there will be an element. Transfers aren't a big thing that I'm a huge fan of because you just don't know the dynamics and the changes and everything else is going to come with them. But um, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to what happens. I'm looking forward to hopefully getting players in nice and early so that we can hit the ground running with pre-season, Lubo, as, as you've said. I think it's somewhere around the 8th of July that we start back on things, because I know that because that's my birthday, and I was like, oh, we should be back going by around about that time. Um, so hopefully, hopefully then we've got players in and we're able to, you know, we're able to kick on and start um, start hitting hitting the ground well next season, getting wins. Um and getting getting ourselves looking as if we're back Liverpool that we've recognised from the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of potential for next season to be fun. And so I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to that. And so we will uh, talk to you guys again uh, in about a month uh, for the next podcast. And until then, up the Reds. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.